This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are studying through the book of Genesis and we're we're in Genesis chapter eight. We're dealing with Noah and uh, Noah and the ark. And uh, obviously, Noah takes up a good part of uh, the first part of the book of Genesis. Takes up, he's, he's, if you look at chapter six as speaking to Noah, giving us genealogy all the way to Noah, then he, he obviously takes up almost eight chapters, three chapters of the book of Noah, the book of Genesis. So as you're studying the book of Genesis, he's a very important figure. And the events of the flood are an important event in Scripture. In fact, used pretty pretty regularly, spoken about throughout Scripture. And one of those things that culturally, in as far as throughout the world, there are many flood accounts, ancient flood accounts, not just not just with the Jewish people, not just with the Bible, but throughout the world, there are many accounts of a flood. And that brings us to the point where we, when we're dealing with Noah, we're at a point where it's an important historic event as far as scripture and as far as history. And so in Genesis chapter eight, verse one, it says, then God remembered Noah and every living thing. God remembered Noah and every living thing, all the animals that were with him in the ark. What that means is that they were important to him. They were on God's mind. God, God not only had a plan, but they were actively a part of the plan that he had and that he was executing in the world. And as you read this, you realize that, that what God's saying is that life and the life of Noah and the life of the animals and the life of that which he created on the earth was important to him, and he put them in this boat, this boat that was built like a barge for the purpose of making it almost impossible to sink. And uh, that's exactly what what the barge or the or the ark did was it kept it stayed afloat whether the it was hit in front or in back or on the side by waves, and and it it floated on the top of the water. And it said, and God made the wind to pass over the earth. And the waters to subside, and this is and the waters subsided, and this is an important idea that you see in both both Genesis and you see it in the book of the Revelation. And the book of Revelation actually calls them the four winds. And what does that mean? It's important because until over the last few hundred years, we didn't realize that there were these things in the upper atmosphere called jet winds. And uh, is that that's when you move up uh, in the upper atmosphere, there are these powerful winds that blow across the earth, and uh, there are four of them. There are two in the northern hemisphere and two in the southern hemisphere, and uh, they are mainly what brings about our weather system. And you go, what do you mean by that? If you'll notice, our weather moves from the west coast to the east coast. So our weather systems move across the United States. From west to east, that's the reason that is, 
is because there's an upper jet stream that generally runs in the area of the United States Canadian border. And it's the upper jet stream and it'll dip down, you know, dip down, even down into the South, into Texas and the Southeastern United States. And then it'll move up high up into Canada. And then there's another jet stream that runs across what we would call uh, Mexico and that area and through the Gulf of Mexico, the Caribbean, and it's in the upper atmosphere. And, and as that jet stream moves, what it does is it moves moisture, it moves water, it moves the air. And uh, it causes weather, the weather that we have. It causes, uh, it causes rain to fall in certain areas. And the jet stream is affected by high mountains because obviously it's up in the up, upper atmosphere. And uh, that's why in certain areas of the world, you have deserts because the jet stream is moved by uh, top topography. And it causes areas of the earth not to get moisture. And, and oftentimes, we, when we think about weather, because we've been conditioned to think about weather, when we think about weather as, as human beings, most of the time nowadays, we think that we cause the weather. And now let me say this, China has figured out how to seed clouds and cause, cause it maybe to rain a couple of hours earlier or a couple of hours later than it normally would. And so if you said that they actually control the weather, in some regards, yes. If I can make it rain at six o'clock because there's a baseball game at eight o'clock and I can get the rain done so that I can get the game in, maybe I am causing weather. And actually the Chinese do that so that they can have some of their state events and things like that. Over there in China, they seed the clouds so that it will rain earlier than expected or maybe rain in an area uh, as the system moves closer more than it does where it's raining. That's all we do. There is, there's a ranking of what influences and causes our weather, causes our climates to change. The first thing is the sun. <clears throat> the sun is the primary, uh, is the primary influencer of our weather if uh, in our climate. If we were 10 miles closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were 10 miles farther away from the sun, we'd freeze to death. All of us. Completely. We talk about going to Mars and we talk about going to Venus. The reason nobody ever talks about going to Venus is because it's too hot. And the reason we would have deep trouble living on Mars is it's far too cold. You say it looks like it's a desert. It's a desert because nothing grows there. It's a permafrost desert. It's cold all the The second thing is the moon. The moon causes the oceans to rise and to fall. And that brings about a lot of moisture in the atmosphere. The moon is the second great cause of atmosphere, of climate, of weather. And then third is the jet stream. And uh, that's what the Bible is talking about right here. The jet stream. God calls the wind to pass. Notice Notice God is at work making the jet stream because before that, there was a firmament above the earth. There was a water shield above the earth, and we've already talked about that. We talked about that in the creation account several weeks ago. There was a water shield up there. Now, once that water shield was pierced and the water fell to the earth after the waters from the depths of the earth shot up and pierced that shield, and then the windows of heaven were opened and the water came down, once that happened, God caused a wind to go across the earth. He caused a wind to pass over the earth. And that wind's still there. <clears throat> it's still at work and it's moving. Interestingly, the southern jet streams spin in the other direction. Also, if you go into the southern hemisphere uh, and you flush the toilet, it rotates in the other direction too. Not that's just a real important thought or even if that's really important at all. But for people like me, that just is 
enjoyable and interesting. If you go into the Southern Hemisphere, just understand when you flush the toilet, it's not going to go in a clockwise. It's going to go in a counterclockwise direction as it spins down the toilet. Fun, real fun. He said that jet stream passed over the earth. Notice what it did. And the water subsided. I've already told you where most of that water went. Uh, most of that water either went back into the atmosphere because the atmosphere was emptied of the water, or it, or also more importantly, it went into freezing in the polar ice caps and uh, it froze there. And also, it's my belief that unlike today, uh, back then, the earth was mostly land. Now it's mostly water. The face of the earth is, I think, over 60% water. Now, I believe back then it was mostly land. I think it was both mostly land. And I actually think during this flood, when those waters from the depths shot up into the upper atmosphere, I think those tectonic plates were moved into place that they are now. So I actually think that the surface of the earth changed in its form and in, in, in its place a great deal due to that. There's a lot going on here that we don't see and that we don't understand, but God gives us, he gives us, a, he gives us a little wink about these things. And that whole idea of the wind passing over the earth is an important understanding that didn't exist before then, but now does exist. Before then, the way the water, the way the earth was watered, the way the plants were watered was a strong dew in the early morning. And if you've ever been in the south during the summertime and there's a strong dew on the ground, it's not a strong dew if you've got shoes on and you're going out there to practice football in August. It's a heavy dew. Your feet are totally wet within minutes of being out there on the field. And that watered the earth back in the day. Now we actually have rain that waters the earth. It says the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped or closed and the rain from heaven was restrained. What does that mean? It means that quite obviously God shut down uh, that burst of water that came from the deep crevices of the earth, came from the deep parts of the earth. And I know people sometimes say, I don't know about that. The truth is that we know even now that there are giant reservoirs of water deep within the earth. There's one actually out in the west under the earth that's huge, that's gigantic, and uh, scientists believe are miles beneath the earth, but is enough water to be able to fill maybe even all the Great Lakes out there deep within the out west. Uh, and we're talking about the northern part of the Colorado, that area, and north into Montana and south into the northern parts of Arizona and those areas like that. There, there are great reservoirs of water still within the earth. And scientists uh, just take that idea and they apply it to uh, planets that they look at out in the atmosphere and they assume that there's likely water deep within the planet's surface out in planets that they're looking out, out in deep in the universe. The reason they're doing that is because it's true here. We know that those places exist, but God shut them up. Uh, we live in an area where the ground, where water comes out of the ground. There are a lot of springs in the area that we live in. And on our on family land, there are several places where the water just comes up out of the ground. But when God forced this to happen, especially when he's moving those tectonic plates, it caused a great release of water, a great release of the pressure of the water underneath and the water up above. And once that water was emptied onto the earth, God shut that off. He closed it off. He stopped it. And it says the waters receded continually from the earth. And a lot of times you'll see people talk about how this was formed over millions of years or this was formed over 
thousands and hundreds of thousands of years. And, and maybe it wasn't. I'm not sure about that. I do know this, that if you take billions and trillions and whatever's next above gallons of water and you run them through certain areas of the earth, it's going to cause great gorges to exist. It's going to reform and reshape parts of the earth in ways that we can't imagine. I actually believe that the Grand Canyon wasn't cut over millions of years. I actually believe that the Grand Canyon was cut over many days as the water from all of the southwest United States moved through that uh, River Canyon Valley and cut that very quickly to the earth. And the reason I believe that is because if you look at top topographically to the Midwest, you realize that the Colorado River and that whole river system right there is the only way for water to flow out of that area of the United States. It is the access point of water out of the Western United States. And if it moved through quickly and fast, it would have cut a great canyon quickly and fast. And if you've ever been there, it is a mighty canyon that is cut. It is amazing. It's beautiful. And uh, scientists believe it was cut over millions of years by this tiny little river. The truth is I have more of an idea that it was cut over many days as the water continually receded from the earth. And the end of the 150 days, the water decreased. Notice that they're in the ark for 150 days. And that seemed like a long time. And the younger I was, the more I thought that that to be a really long time, a half year. Now, the older I'm getting, the more I realize that half years pass by like weeks do. And seasons seem to come and go so fast that you can't imagine what's happening. And they were on the ark. They were on the ark for a long period of time, for many months. But uh, as that's happening, the first 40 days, it is raining, raining. And then the last few hundred days, as that's going on, they've seen the water recede and they're seeing the water decrease from the one window God gave them from the ark. Notice God did not give them a lot of, a lot of ways to look out. And the reason he didn't give them a lot of ways to look out is because that would have been a lot of ways for water to come in. And the reason also that he didn't give them a lot of days to look out is because his salvation, his saving of them, they were not in charge of. He was. So many times as Christians and believers, we want to be in charge of everything. We want to be in charge of the decision to come to Christ. We want to be in charge of what God is doing in our lives. We say we're going to assent to his lordship. See, the problem with lordship is he's lord whether you assent to it or not. And he's at work whether you're working in his plan or not. And he's alive whether you believe it or not. And the sovereignty of God and his lordship is always going on, whether you recognize it or whether you see it or whether you actually are a part of it and joining him in the work that he's doing in your life. It's going on all the time, whether you know it or not. And God is God has always been at work and God has always been intimate with his creation. And God continues to be intimate with his creation and is never going to not be intimate with his creation. And Noah was told to build the ark. He was told to bring the animals on the ark. He was told to take his family into the ark. And then after that, God was in charge. Noah joined God in God's plan. It wasn't Noah's plan to flood the earth. It was God's plan to flood the earth. Noah heard God. He believed him. He received his word. He believed him. And then he acted upon it. But ultimately, who was in charge of taking care of Noah? God was in charge of taking care of Noah. And who was ultimately in charge of this plan? God was. Noah was the person who engaged God's plan with his faith. 
and that caused him to be active and important part of God's plan. And that's important for you too. It's important for you to understand that that God's plan for your life has been going on far before you even realized he was there. And God's plan for your life is going to continue far after you realize what's going on. And uh, there are things going on in your life and things happening each and every day around you that you have no clue about because God is intimately at the molecular level involved in your life. And his plans for you are real and alive. And our part in it is to join him in that relationship, to allow him to reveal himself to us as much as he can in our limited capacity as human beings, as sinful human beings. Our job is to open our hearts and allow him to show us and lead us and teach us as as much as possible, and then uh, engage what he reveals to us by faith in our lives and act upon those things that God has shown us. And as we do that, we realize that we're actually in an ark ourselves. God is placed us in a place of salvation. He is, he's protecting us from the winds and the waves. He's protecting us from the storms around us. And he's bringing about ultimately his very best in the midst of those things. And I'd say to you this morning, God is continually at work around you. Join him in that work. His plan through Noah has brought the whole of humanity to this point. And it's good for you and it's good for us and it's good for the day we live in. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.